question. Um, in a few weeks' time here in Charlotte Chapel, we're going to start a course called Glad You Asked. And we're really not afraid of any questions. Um, the Christian message, its testimony, the Bible, uh, is, is entirely open to your scrutiny. And we want to, if you've got difficulties relating to some of even what you've heard today, we want you to, to be challenged to come along, present your questions, your theories, your comments, that we can look into God's Word and try to find an answer for some of life's big, difficult questions. And one of the difficult questions that many people ask is, why do bad things happen to good people? And part of the testimony that you've heard to, today, um, indeed all of it, has, has had some level or degree of what, from a human perspective, looks like not good stuff, so therefore bad stuff. And why does stuff like that come to good people? Well, let me ask the question, first of all, why do bad things happen to us? Because let's face it, uh, life isn't all that jolly some days for most of us, if we're going to be honest. Some of us are very good at putting on a mask, uh, a little bit of a facade, and when you ask people, you say, no, no, it's absolutely great, it's fine, um, and, and they don't let you get up close and personal, and that's that's something to do with our nature. That can be to do with our culture. And uh, quite honestly, I don't think it's helpful. I think that some of what we've inherited as a nation culturally has throwbacks into uh, how people had to cope during very, very difficult times. Uh, Ian mentioned um, the last war, the war before that. We've had generations now of people who have learned with a stiff upper lip not to talk about how they really feel and not really face up to some of the issues that go on in their lives. Uh, and as a pastor counselor, I want to, to come alongside people and, and help people understand that it's okay to be a realist and to be real, to be open, to be honest. And yet that's got to be done with uh, an integrity and a sensitivity and a safety that doesn't sort of, you know, uh, expose people to stuff that would be harmful to them. And bad stuff happens to us. Bad stuff happens to me. Bad stuff happens to my family. And why is that? Well, the bottom line is simply this. We live in a fallen world where every aspect of life is under the curse and the judgment of God. That's the bottom line. That's why bad stuff happens in this world. It's fallen. It's broken. It's not going to get mended in its current state. It's going to get mended one day when Jesus comes back and he makes all things new. But in the meantime, we live in a fallen world where not only does bad stuff happen to us, but bad people do bad things to us. And that's the bottom line. But as we look at God's Word, particularly here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we see that bad things happen to good people because if you pick up Paul's emphasis, it gives them an opportunity to share more important truths with other hurting and suffering people. And that's the bottom line for us as believers. And maybe not everybody here today is a believer. But the reason that bad stuff comes your way and comes my way is that we're to grasp it as an opportunity to share with other suffering and hurting people that even though this life sucks at times, that there is hope, that there is comfort, there is a place where we can find strength to go on in the face of great adversity 
whether that's personal health issues or whether it's relationship issues, where maybe even people who love us or seemingly loved us come against us uh, at times that cause us suffering. So the first thing I want to say is that it allows us, because it comes to us, because it gives consolation to others. The word that Jesus used in John 14 to describe the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is paraclete. That word is used no less than 10 times in the first seven verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That seven verses, first seven verses, 10 times the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit is used, as Paul says, comfort, 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 encourage, comfort. Same word. And Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, said that God is our comforter. But notice that the comfort we receive isn't just for ourselves. God shares His comfort with us so that we can share it with others. And Paul reasons that if he had to go through difficult times and circumstances, he does so so that he can comfort others in their times of trouble and minister to them more effectively. Wow, how positive is that? Paul's suffering but he's not going to waste his suffering. And, and maybe some of us here today need to hear that. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your dementia. Don't waste your Alzheimer's. Don't waste the criticism and the trial that you're going through. So don't waste that by becoming all poor little old me and go and have petty parties with yourself or others who'll do that. Claim it. Grab a hold of it. Be positive. It's come your way so that God can use it as a means to comfort those who are going through similar sufferings. We've studied recently in our Philippian series that Paul even sees these things that he suffers as sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Now, that does not mean that we share in Christ's sufferings to atone for our sin. That's Christ's job alone, and he's done that. But rather, it suggests that when we suffer for his sake, we do so for his glory, and that he suffers with us. The Apostle Peter warns us that if we suffer for the sake of Christ, it is a blessed thing. He also warns us in 1 Peter 5 that if we suffer uh, because we've done something wrong or because we're just prats, then we deserve what we get in that instance. But he says, if you suffer for Christ, you're persecuted, you're criticized, you face hardships for doing good, then there's abundant grace. And one commentator says, the mathematics of God's mercy is wonderful. As the trials abound, the comfort of God abounds as well. He meets our need. And Christians ought to be willing to endure trials since they know that they bring spiritual good to them personally and blessings to others as we share God's comfort with them. The Greek word for sharing in verse 7 also means fellowship or partners. We ought to be willing partners with Christ in suffering, since this partnership leads to comfort and edification. Secondly, bad things happen to good people because it causes them to grow in confidence. It grows confidence in us. You see, it takes courage and integrity to admit failure and to be honestly transparent in a world where the pressure is to be successful. Please do not treat lightly or belittle what our friends have shared with us today. That takes courage. It takes real courage. 
not only to be that open privately, but to stand up publicly and say, life's tough. Life's hard. That takes real courage. And yet it takes confidence. Uh, the Apostle Paul isn't out for sympathy as he shares what he's going through. But he opens his heart and speaks of the reality of hard times and difficult circumstances that, please note, even drove him to despair of life itself. We don't know if he was suicidal, but we certainly says, you know, life is just so hard and it's so difficult that I despair of it. I wish it would end. That's what he's asking. This is the apostle being this honest. And boy, that makes some of us feel really uncomfortable because we can't be honest with ourselves, never mind with anyone else outside our own circle. But he's not looking for sympathy. Uh, Paul has learned the lesson that God had for him. And it's simply in this, I can't trust myself, I must trust God alone. Look at verse 10. And just look at the tense of what the apostle is saying there. And may, may this encourage someone's heart here today. He has delivered us from such deadly peril. And He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Paul's hope is in God and God alone. And that growing confidence he attributes to the delivering work of God for whom God deserves all praise and glory, and yet he links it directly to the prayers of his fellow Christians. And please note that our faith must never be in circumstances, and neither must it be in people or even in their prayers. It's great that God's people pray for one another, but the confidence is not in the ability for people to pray for us. The confidence is in God and in God alone. And prayer taps into the resources of what God has available for each and every one of us. The psalmist David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And from that resting place in Him, we can go out and still know peace as we face life's enemies, even death itself. The third and final thing that I want to say, we didn't uh, actually read, but if you read on through 12 through 24, you'll discover that um, bad things happen to good people because it guarantees a claim to God's promises. See, the people who wanted to criticize Paul here in this instance used his trials to highlight the assertion that he wasn't to be trusted. And if he wasn't to be trusted, neither was his God to be trusted. Why would you trust in a God who lets that sort of stuff come your way? And people ask that question. Paul had promised to come and visit the Christian church in Corinth, but he didn't turn up. And so their argument went something like this. If you can't trust his word, then you can't trust his message. Um, if you've not learned this as a Christian already, then you have to get hold of this. People will let you down. And not just people in the world, but people in the church will let you down. Elders will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Actually, none of us can be trusted implicitly. Don't ever put your trust in men or women, irrespective of how high or how seemingly steady their pedestal is. Don't ever trust them. They will let you down. I will let you down. I, I probably have. I, I have let you down. I'm sorry. But I'm human. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful human being, saved by grace, but I'm fallen. 
and I make mistakes, and sometimes I do things deliberately wrong. Have mercy on me, God. And so do you. We let each other down all the time. Don't trust in one another. Trust in God. They claim to God's promises. And Paul is saying, look, actually, I did with all sincerity mean to come to see you when I said I would, but circumstances prevailed that meant I couldn't. And I thought you cared enough and loved me enough to let me away with that one. But some said, no, that's a good enough reason to criticize you, and if we criticize you, we criticize your message. You're not to be trusted, and neither is the message. Well, wrong. People aren't to be trusted, and a multitude of sins can be covered by genuine love for one another in the church. But the Word can always be trusted. Paul simply states, um, as any of us can do when our reputations are being threatened, he can only state the facts and leave the rest to God to vindicate and justify. You see, the reality is that the motivation and the sincerity and honesty that we express towards one another and live by, we can't actually judge that today for ourselves or for anyone else. On Judgment Day, Jesus will come and He will reward each according to what He has done by the motivation of His heart and by the words of His mouth and by the acts of His deeds. Until then, reserve judgment on what you've done and what I've done, because only heaven knows the motivation. But the Word can be trusted over and above. Warren Wearsby says this, Where there are love and confidence, there should never be doubt or questions about motives. Paul was not like men in the world who say yes when they mean no. And it is here that Paul teaches us a lasting lesson. The Word of God is trustworthy. And all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. In verse 20, you want to read down to that? It says there, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through Him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. One way to translate that is that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, and through Him we say Amen. In other words, the promises that God makes are true. He fulfills them and He gives us faith to claim them. The Word, the living Word of God, the divine Logos that John the Apostle speaks about, that is forever coming into the world, is unchanging. And it is often, maybe only in the light of the reality of trouble and trial, that allows us to prove the promises of God. How do you know God is trustworthy? How do you know God can help people if you've never suffered yourselves? It's all theoretical. It's all supposition. But when you've gone through it, and when you've hit that place in the dark valley, and you've held on to nothing but God, because your health has failed, your employment's gone, and the people you thought you could trust have let you go, and you're holding on to God, and He sees you through it, and you still maintain your humor, you still maintain your integrity, you still maintain your motivation to serve, People will look to you and say, hey, how'd you do that? Where do you get that from? Well, I got it from God, and I'm holding on to Him. A senior pastor friend of mine, uh, encouraging me in ministry one time, knowing what I was facing, came to me and he said, Rodney, he says, there are times, he says, 
when I'm just so glad I believe in Jesus because there are times when I can't trust these people. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're hurting because you've trusted someone who's let you down. Forgive them. Let love cover a multitude of sins and get a hold of God. Get a hold of God. Claim the promises that are in Him. So today, whatever claim you feel you may have in the eternal promises of God, they are yes in Christ, to which we can all say, Amen. Now, does that mean that you have a claim to healing and freedom from suffering? Well, you could bring that question to glad you asked. Your heavenly Father knows what your needs are. And if you've not spoken to Him about them, He's ready to listen to your prayers. No matter how much freedom I may experience in this life and no matter how much healing I may receive, by divine authority. The best is always somewhere ahead of me. I live in a fallen world. I was born to die. It's how I live my life. Not the length of it, but how I live it that's important. I was speaking to a friend of mine during the week, and he's been laid aside for nearly a year now, hardly able to get out of the house. And he says, God has given me an assurance that this is not a permanent thing. And I know my friend, and I know what he means by that is that he's going to go to church, possibly today, and he's going to ask the elders to anoint him with oil and pray over him that he might be healed. And, and I believe in that stuff. There's a time and a place and a right way to go about that. But when I hear my friend say, this is not a permanent thing, I say, Amen. Amen. Because one day, Jesus is going to say, do you know what? I think you've been long enough on earth. Come and stay with me in eternity instead. And then you're completely complete. All the suffering, all the pain, it's all gone forever. Do you have such hope? You're claiming that promise? When bad things happen to you and to me, it's so that we can respond to them like Paul did, that we can console and comfort others, that we can grow in our confidence in trusting God, and we can lay claim to and rest in the promises of God's revealed Word. Amen. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Praise and glory is God's. The human testimony in life is ours to live. Go live it for Jesus. We're going to stand as we conclude our service.